Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In Belarus, a storm is brewing. All because of one man, the leader of almost three decades. Sandwiched between the European Union, Ukraine and Russia, Belarus is known as Europe's last dictatorship. And not everyone is thrilled. How old are you? I am 22. So your whole life you've lived under one president. How does that feel for you? Well, it feels like shit. President dictator Alexander Lukashenko is increasingly in the news these days and he's been getting closer and closer to the Kremlin. Russia raising the nuclear stakes and moving tactical nuclear warheads to its neighbor and ally Belarus. That's according to the country's president Alexander Lukashenko. Vladimir Putin faced the greatest challenge to his authority since coming to power more than two decades ago. A deal brokered by Belarusian leader Alexander Lukashenko seems to have contained the immediate risk to the status quo in the Kremlin. But many Belarusians aren't keen on the way things are going. And Lukashenko isn't too keen on them either. Mr. Lukashenko has told his rubber-stamp parliament to allow security forces to shoot demonstrators. But now those pro-democracy demonstrators are starting to fight back. In many cities, people are training. We are just waiting for the moment. There will be a moment, and we will be ready. Leave Belarus and an exiled, militarized diaspora is growing and gearing up for a fight. But how? What on earth is the plan? Could they actually help force some kind of a revolution back home? And what would this mean for the war just south in Ukraine? Belarus is, of course, a key ally of Russia and served as a staging ground for Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, the plan to overthrow Europe's last dictator.
My name's Jack Clover. I'm a reporter on the Sunday Times. And am I right in saying you're a Russian speaker? Yes, I uh, lived in Ukraine for a couple of years before I trained to become a journalist and I speak Russian and Ukrainian. I lived in lots of different cities across the country, mainly working as a theatre director. Jack's been investigating the Belarusian pro-democracy opposition. He found some just over the country's western border in Poland. I was standing in a business park outside Poznan with a photographer and this car races up beside us and a man in balaclava gets out, tells us to get in the back of the car and drives us around the corner into this field. There we find about 10 people all wearing camo with uh, their faces covered, preparing their military gear. They were crawling through the undergrowth on their bellies. They were shouting out calls. And what did you think seeing that? Did they look terrifying? The instructors looked terrifying. The instructors were clearly military people. Mm. But a lot of the people there were normal, kind of electricians, factory workers, young, old, men, women, different ages, uh, who'd never done anything like this before, you know. They're wearing sunglasses, balaclavas, full camo, head to toe, sometimes of British insignia, because that's what you can buy out in Poland. They were carrying these sort of airsoft machine guns that make all the noise, but are pretty harmless. So they look like the real deal, but they just don't have any bullets. Ah, and did they look comfortable in it? Did they look like they knew what they were doing? Or did they look like if, you know, someone handed a gun and a load of camo gear to me or you? So for the majority of people there, it's their first time in a training like this. And I think that people were taking it incredibly seriously. There was a great aura of fear in this field, strangely, even though it seemed quite, you know, anyone walking past might think these are people paintballing. It was gravely serious, these people. They uh, were terrified of showing even their eyes to us, let alone their voices sometimes, because they were so scared of repercussions at home. And so explain who they are, because they're here in this field in, in Poland, training with all of this kit, but they're not Polish. No, this is a group of exiles from Belarus, a neighbouring country who've been forced to flee to escape the brutal dictatorship of Alexander Lukashenko, the dictatorial president of Belarus. Lukashenko has run Belarus with an iron fist since 1994. He's been its first and only president since independence from the Soviet Union. When he was elected president, he vowed to keep Belarus as Sovietized as possible. They want democracy in their country, but they've each got a chilling tale of repression and being locked up, which has forced them to flee, often with their family and often last minute. Just explain for us how brutal a dictatorship is under Lukashenko. To describe Belarus now, it's better to use the language of mid-20th century dictatorships. These are Stalinist repressions, people beaten on the street, randomly detained. 
it's quite striking when I was reporting on this how little we know behind this iron curtain, which goes right between Poland and Lithuania, European Union countries, but just mm. across the border, there's this veil of silence and thousands of people suffering in prison for just opposing the regime in any way. Is it much like Russia, where those who speak out get thrown behind bars? I'd say it's like Russia, but worse. In Belarus, the authorities are so scared of the opposition because in 2020, the last time there was an election in Belarus, there was an extraordinary outpouring of dissatisfaction with Alexander Lukashenko's regime. Thousands of people unleashing their fury in the capital city of Minsk and elsewhere also around the country. Mr Lukashenko, who has ruled for nearly three decades, has faced a wave of anger over his handling of the coronavirus pandemic and the economy as well. I mean, he's been in power since the early 1990s and this massive upswell of over a million people across streets across the country, it terrified the regime mm. and they realised we are in the minority in this country and we have to do whatever we can to cling on. And yet those who do want to dissent, protest the regime, you mentioned people being thrown behind bars as political prisoners, but what else happens to people? The security services in Belarus have been sharing these confession videos where they have kind of dissenters, alleged dissenters, people who might have shared the wrong kind of Facebook post saying that they don't agree with the regime and they're standing there draped in some form of flag, which they see as nationalist, holding sometimes dildos. Whoa, what? Yeah. Gosh. And so they're wearing rave goggles, trying to show these people as morally broken pro-Western people and in the broken and toxic propaganda of Belarus, that includes insinuating that they're homosexual in some cases. Right. So, Jack, this is a regime where the security services use sex toys to try and humiliate their opposition. And then if you do end up in the legal system somehow after one of these videos has been made about you, what might you exactly face? There are different kinds of detention in Belarus. There is sukki, which is what they call administrative detention, which is basically throwing you into a small cell over up to 30 days with a large group of other people, about 35 people per 20 square metre cell. So there isn't enough space to lie down uh, sometimes, or at least if you are lying down, you have to lie on your side or even underneath the bed. Mm. But these are the lucky ones. They're often let out after 30 days. If the majority of political prisoners who are charged, they then face brutal conditions in labour colonies, in prison colonies uh, across Belarus, where they're often seen as a, an underclass in prisons full of mm. rapists and murderers. Gosh. And do we know how many people go through this? There are 1,492 political prisoners in Belarus, according to the human rights organisation Vyasna. And uh, there are about 12,000 cases opened for political dissent each year. Well, that was last year. Mm. And the regime itself boasts of 700 raids on individuals that they presume to be enemies of the regime every month.
so to leave Belarus and to return to your field in Poland, where some of these Belarusian dissidents, whatever, however we want to describe them are, you can understand why they wouldn't want to remain in country. The people going through this, what was their training like? This training is organised by BIPOL, which is a group of former Belarusian security officers that could no longer countenance being part of this regime. And so while the majority of people there were kind of novices, the training they were receiving was proper police kind of military training. They were scurrying along the undergrowth on their bellies. They were planning how to drag combatants out of enemy fire. These are quite serious maneuvers, even on the first day. Mm. So while they're not ready yet, they're taking their, their role very seriously. And tell us about some of the people you met. I mean, you mentioned that there were sort of electricians and the, the like, but, but who, else, who else was there? Who else sticks in your mind? I met an older man whose call sign was Died or Grandad. I have been in the opposition from the first elections of Lukashenko. After the second elections, he was already an illegitimate president, but... Europe turned a blind eye, and that's how the problem grew. He had recently recovered from a heart attack after the stress of uprooting his whole family and fleeing across the border to start again and to start a new career as an electrician. Despite his health conditions, he was there crawling along the ground, carrying a dummy machine gun. And he said, we've tried the peaceful route. He's mm. been against Lukashenko since the early 90s. But now, unfortunately, a country can't become free without blood. Like in most cases, the independence of our country will be bloody, unfortunately. For the sake of my children and grandchildren, I would be ready to lay down my life. I'd rather keep my life, of course, but, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Gosh. And th- these people, how many of them are there? And, and what are they actually hoping to achieve? In this field, it was a group of about 10. But across the country, volunteers say that there are hundreds training in groups like this. Their aim is that one day... When the time is right, when something material changes at home in Belarus, they will be ready to take up arms and to fight for democracy. And what would be the trigger for that? Just that the regime weakens to the extent that they feel like they could topple it or someone else starts the toppling and and they go and join in? How do they envisage it? There are multiple scenarios, whether or not Alexander Lukashenko dies or becomes seriously mm. ill, as there was a scare back in May, as he didn't appear for several days. Another potential scenario is that the next planned election in Belarus in 2025, the previous election was where there was hundreds of thousands of people going out on the street. Mm. And so perhaps in 2025, those people may no longer be peaceful protesters. So there are multiple scenarios. And do they have what they need? To make all this happen, Jack, do they have the the money and, and the resources? Frankly, not yet. It's all crowdfunded at the moment. They're buying their own kit. There's not that many of them, but they are growing in number and they are very serious in their intent. Since you met those people, though, Jack, there have been some developments, haven't there, in terms of 
Belarus and what is happening with the war in Ukraine. Um, Belarus getting quite dragged into matters. What happened? Well, we've had a, an extraordinary weekend where Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner Group, a private military, started a march on Moscow on Saturday morning. Russian mercenaries swapped trench warfare in Ukraine for armed rebellion at home in the gravest threat to Vladimir Putin's rule. He called it a march of justice. They got about 200 kilometres away from Moscow and he demanded to see Generals Gerasimov and Shoigu, the Russian defence minister. He is highly critical of how they've been running the war in Ukraine. The Wagner leader had denounced Sergei Shoigu as evil and demanded his removal when he ordered fighters to advance on Moscow. And it's a horrendous kind of power struggle going on between Wagner and the official Russian military. And so it was looking like a coup um, all day on Saturday. And tell us about how it all concluded so quickly. And I guess Alexander Lukashenko's role in that as well, because there was a suggestion that he brokered the truce. It was quite bizarre on Saturday night. Could we had unconfirmed reports from sources close to uh, Alexander Lukashenko, to his press office, saying that he has been speaking directly with Evgeny Prigozhin. Prigozhin has, has decided to turn around. And this looked absolutely bizarre because Lukashenko is normally not considered at all in internal Russian politics, really. He's a head of a, of a, of a different state. Um, and then it turned out that Lukashenko was instrumental in this um, and that Prigozhin was going to go to Belarus. We don't know what that means, mm. but it was a remarkable turn of events. Do you buy that he has brokered this truce or is he basically just a, a puppet of Putin and is being used as a, a sort of character to do what Putin wants? Lukashenko's role is very surprising, at least it was for me. He was long dismissed as some lackey, a lapdog of Putin, especially after the 2020 um, protests when he had his power base was really diminished at home and he had to be in, in, in extraordinarily brutal to remain in power and relied on Putin a lot. But now Lukashenko seems to have come out of this as some kind of international negotiator. He was called in because Putin had basically got himself into a situation where he couldn't directly talk to Prigozhin because in the morning he'd given him the Navalny treatment, as one expert told me. He didn't reference him by name. He called him this traitor. He didn't want to lower himself to directly deal with him. And the only man that he could call, who both parties would have trusted, really, was Lukashenko. And we've long dismissed him, but actually Lukashenko has been running a country while Putin was basically small fry in, in, in Petersburg back in the 1990s. So Lukashenko has a, a wealth of experience that... Kind of Russia watchers have been underestimating. This may cause us to rethink our appreciation of how he works as a political operator. But at the same time, it's, it is far too soon to see what's really at play here. Coming up, a meeting with the Belarusian opposition leader. What does she think of Yevgeny Prigozhin potentially living in exile in her country? And could she work with the freedom fighters in the field in Poland to try and overthrow the Belarusian president? Hey. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Marketers and advertisers, brands big and small. You've been after a special someone for a while now. You think they're into you. I mean, you share the same interests, both passionate about the same stuff. Why wouldn't they be? Wait, there's a moment of silence. It's finally just you two alone. They're waiting. Go on, shoot your shot. You've got a voice. Use it now. Hearts are racing. Breathing becomes heavier. This is your chance to win them over. So what are you going to say? Get closer to your audience. Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started. So Evgeny Prigozhin's would-be coup is over. President Putin is still in power, for now at least. But just over the border, there's another fight for power we're interested in here. The fight for Belarus. One woman who knows it intimately is opposition leader Svetlana Chikhanovskaya. She fled across the border from Belarus to Lithuania in the aftermath of the election in 2020. She styles herself as the, the national leader of Belarus. As far as we know... The majority of Belarusians actually voted for her back in 2020. But she doesn't claim to be the president-elect. She says you can't be a president-elect until there's been a full vote, which we've freely counted. What she wants is democracy in Belarus. She wants a proper vote. And you went to go meet her in Vilnius. What was her setup like? I was waiting outside in the kind of incredible heat outside this glass and steel building about kind of 15 minutes drive outside the center of Vilnius and it looked like a shopping center in many ways Uh, (laughs) but inside it was very quiet her press secretary came down to meet me uh, led me upstairs past this kind of airport style security and an old friendly Belarusian man sitting there what was she like what kind of an impression did you get from her She was warm, but serious and determined. She walked into the room and said, I hear you speak Russian, let's improve your Russian. (laughs) Even though she's an English teacher and has been wandering around Europe giving lectures to parliaments in English. Uh, and I loved that because it meant that she was very open and honest of me and, and used more emotive language, basically, which was great for me as a as a reporter. But um, it was a little bit challenging. I had to look down at my notebook being like, gosh, how do I do that word and what does this mean? But it was great to spend an hour with her. We overran and her uh, 
Press equity said, it's a good sign, it means she liked you. So I was happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> but rewind for us, Jack, because just remind us how she got to this point. Um, as you said, she, she fought the last election, but how did she begin in politics? Where did, you, where did she start? Sudanti Konovskaya never imagined that she'd be in this situation. Before 2020, she had been working as a, as a school teacher, teaching English language. She then stopped that to, to raise her two children. And she became the unlikely leader of the opposition after her husband, Siarhei, was detained almost exactly three years ago now for anti-corruption protests. This amateur video shows Tsikhanouski's arrest. He had already been in and out of jail three times in a month. He encouraged people to go out on the street bearing slippers to say, we're going to swat the cockroach, uh, Lukashenko, which is sort of after a Soviet tale. And so he was locked up for that. But in the run-up to the election, Lukashenko decided that he would let one opposition leader run. And he chose Tsikhanovskaya because he thought, this is a, in his own words, a housewife. This is someone who will just humiliate herself. And that was the gamble that he took. And it quite seriously backfired. And he publicly said that? He was publicly misogynistic. Uh, he was trying to humiliate her because he didn't allow the kind of seasoned opposition politicians to yeah. to run at all. And he often locked them up or they had to force into exile. But they did let her run to, to give some form of semblance of an election. And as you say, that, that somewhat backfired on him. Yeah. What does she know about her, her husband? He, he with the slippers. Um, where's he now? There hasn't been word from him for months. She doesn't know if he's dead or alive. She doesn't know if he's in solitary confinement or not. Can't get any letters to him. And she says how this is incredibly difficult. It's been three years. That pain has grown within you so much that you already live within it. There is not a single day that you don't think about your husband. He's your closest person, your closest heart. But it's an extraordinary internal motivation. She wakes up in the morning tired and feels like she can't go on, or but what's it all for? And she thinks, meanwhile, across the border, my beloved Sergei is lying on a on a steel bed. Dogs are barking. He's losing his sight. They're not feeding him. And she gets up in the morning and she goes to work. To continue to connect all these dots, back to these would-be fighters training in Poland, what's the connection between her and them? Is there a formal connection? Are they working together? Is she, is she encouraging them and supporting them? So, yes, she backs BIPOL, which is the group conducting these training sessions. It wasn't her idea, but she backs this victory plan, which BIPOL have come up with, which is basically a mobilisation plan, which was uh, started back in 2021 to ready Belarusians in exile and within the country to take on the regime. And she she stands with that plan. Though she is very clear with me that the dream is a, is a peaceful transition of power, hmm. a free election internationally observed in Belarus. What's her half of, of the victory plan? Is it just to be safe somewhere, ready and waiting for the next election to run in? Or, or is she already trying to assemble some kind of a would-be government that could step in? 
she has a group of advisors around her, around her that if she were to become the president, then yes, there'd be people who would to be able to run the country with her. So now we're in a safe mode, like a computer that's switched off, but still working. Our main task is to protect and keep people in their places, because there will be a new window of opportunity, and we will actively need people again. They're realists. They know they're far off that moment, and the elephant in the room is always Russia. Russia is not Mm going to allow that to happen. And to some extent, Jack, this is this has all been rumbling on for for a number of years. This the way all this is playing out. Recently, correct me if I'm wrong, it it, it stepped up again. Not only with the war in Ukraine, but even more recently with tactical nuclear weapons moving into Belarus, Russian nuclear weapons. President Putin has confirmed some of Russia's tactical nuclear weapons have left the country for the first time since the end of the Soviet Union and are now stationed in neighbouring Belarus. How concerning is that in this mix? Moving nuclear weapons is always concerning, but this means very little for the military situation in Ukraine. This is Putin tightening his chokehold on Belarus. While we are looking to the south where there are actual shots being fired, Putin is is basically moving his own military into a neighbouring country, invited in, and we are doing very little to stop him. The presence of nuclear weapons in Belarus is like an anchor from Russia. They've latched onto us now. What's next? You know, how can we get rid of them? We're ringing all the alarm bells. There need to be some sort of preventative measures to stop this, because otherwise it will be too late. This is like Vastopol in Crimea, which is a Russian military base, which has been there since the Soviet period. Mm. Uh, Protecting Sevastopol was one of the main justifications for Russia to take Crimea back in 2014. If there is a Russian-managed nuclear base with nuclear warheads in Belarus, then this will be a motive for years down the line, even if Lukashenko dies, even if Ukraine wins the war, even if the Russian regime changes slightly, there is always going to be, oh, but we've got nuclear weapons in Belarus. So it's, it's, it's Russia latching on to Belarus in a more serious way than they have done since the Soviet period. So what is the West doing with all of this then? You'd assume that they want to try and help those fighters that you met in Poland, try and undermine Lukashenko as much as they can. I mean, there have been sanctions, as there often are, but Belarusian opposition leaders don't think that nearly enough has been done. I mean, we must remember that back in the early 90s, it was Britain and the US, alongside Russia, that signed the Budapest Memorandum in which Belarus and Ukraine and Kazakhstan gave up their nuclear weapons in return for us and Russia, ironically, to guarantee their safety. The document, signed by the leaders of Ukraine, Russia, the UK and the US, required Ukraine to give up its nuclear weapons stockpile. World powers in exchange promised to respect Ukraine's existing borders and the sovereignty of an independent Ukraine. 
we've let Ukraine down massively, clearly, because they give up their nuclear weapons. If they had nuclear weapons, would would Russia invade? No. Mm. But now we're letting down Belarus as well. And that's their view. We've kind of signed them away to being vassals of the Kremlin. So, Jack, thinking about the situation now then, what do you make of, of the situation facing these opposition fighters from Belarus, either in the country itself or, or arming and training themselves elsewhere in Europe? Because you've got Russian nukes that are being moved into their homeland. You've got Lukashenko on, on the one hand looking strong in that he's helping broker this truce between Wagner and Vladimir Putin. But also we've got the example of how fragile the security apparatus of somewhere like Russia can be. So I guess it means it could be fragile in somewhere like Belarus as well. Do you think we emerge from the past few weeks with the opposition fighters in a stronger position or, or a weaker one? Well, a couple of weeks ago, it looked like a European country was being occupied under our noses as we speak, as Putin moved nuclear weapons across the border. Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, when I spoke to her, she was concerned about Belarus becoming a consolation prize in this after the war in Ukraine, a consolation prize for Russia. But now, with Lukashenko's role in this supposed truce with Wagner and with, with Prigozhin, I mean, it's anybody's bet what could happen next. Now it's looking like the whole region could explode into some kind of civil war within the year, which would definitely have massive impact on Belarus and for those freedom fighters who I met in the field in Poznan. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Jack Clover, news reporter at The Sunday Times. You can find all of Jack's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on a Sunday. The producers were Olivia Case and Max Kendix. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. Stories of our times at thetimes.co.uk is our email for thoughts, queries, concerns, story ideas even. Let us know. Cheers for listening. See you soon. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.